0: Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Three Cast. I am Brian. With me tonight is Vince, but not Zach. Zach is a little under the weather, and so we are doing tonight's show without him. And so we are holding off. He on, died. Uh, well, I didn't want to say that, but he's he's near death. Um, by the time you hear this, he might already be gone. So R.I.P. Zach. Um, but no, we're gonna we're gonna wait till the ghost of Zach joins us next week for our official hundredth episode spectacular. So as Vince dubbed this, this is our Villains Month episode ninety nine point one. So, you're welcome. Um, Happy New Year, everybody. We are uh, going to be covering... It's the Trigon issue. It is the Trigon issue. Oh, God, the Trigon issue. Ooh.
1: Man, Villains Month was so bad. It's the Trigon issue in that it'll make, this is going to make you feel dirty after you're done listening to it. <laughs> that is probably true. Uh, But anyway, uh, we're going to be covering two
0: weeks for the books this week, because we had last week off due to the holidays. Um, We're going to be covering December 20th and December 27th. So hopefully you've read those books. If not, pause the podcast, read them, and come back to us. Let's start with Aquaman, number 31. This is the first issue without our pal, uh, Stepan Seyik, on uh, art. And uh instead we get uh Riccardo Federici on art, along with Dan Abnett writing the book still. Um so Vince, I I I hope you're gonna I hope you can open the your your copy of this book right now up to page uh I guess it's page three. Okay. And I want you to complete my joke here. You ready?
1: <laughs> oh boy.
0: <laughs> you ready? Uh-huh. When Aquaman was in Atlantis Land
1: I d I don't know what I'm supposed to do here.
0: Let these people go. That's, oh. that's what he's saying on that page. Come on. It's uh <laughs> yeah, it's right there in front of you. Come on.
1: It is? Oh yeah. It is. Sorry. <sighs> I'm a bad Catholic. What do you want? What it's do you not, want it's not
0: a Catholic thing, that's a first Tuesday Day Off thing.
1: <laughs> oh. I, isn't that like a isn't that a religious song? I, it's like,
0: it's like a Negro spiritual,
1: like from the in
0: the literal term, like from the, you know. From from yeah, who cares? It's a bad joke. Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> I was trying to be funny. I failed. Um, so this issue kind of you know doubles down on what we've seen from Aquaman the last few months. It's Arthur sort of building a a um, an allegiance of the underworld to go to go against uh, the king. This week we see King Shark involved. Uh, what do you think of this issue?
1: Um, I missed uh, Stepan Sayek for sure. Uh, I don't know where this uh, Arthur looks like um, uh, the sex criminal guy from uh, from the Silicon Valley show. T.J. Miller? <laughs> What's that? T.J. Miller? Yeah, he's looking like T.J. Miller in this thing. <laughs> there is no
0: way Aquaman could ever be as obnoxious as T.J. Miller.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> uh,
0: but you're not uh, wrong.
1: Yeah. I feel no, like
0: this I- is like a classic example of of a publisher trying to find an artist that is similar to the artist that's departing, but they went with somebody who's who just is like similar on the basis level. You know what I mean? Right. Not not really in storytelling or that they, they just they're both kind of similar visually. Yeah. Kind of.
1: Yeah, and it's this isn't bad. No, it's no. It's just no. It's just not it's not as fluid, it's not as expressive, definitely not as expressive. That's that's the immediate thing that you notice. Um, that's what makes Saik so uh, interesting because his style doesn't often lend to fluidity or expression. Right. But he but he's so
0: good at it. Yeah. He um, he is like the one artist in my sort of personal rolodex of favorites at this point that you could say is even borderline photorealistic in times. But mm-hmm. but he but he so goes above that with the amount of expression he gives his characters, you know it's yeah. it's that weird balance that most people can't do. Um, and again, I don't think that this is bad art. I just think it's we've been spoiled. That's all.
1: Right, right. I did think it was cool. Like Arthur's return was cool. He um, he kind of he kind of comes in and acts as a literal lightning rod for other people to sort of take up the cause Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know he's not doing everything himself um he's very much acting as a symbol it's kind of continuing this idea that i think we've talked about before of this kind of being his batman turn you know where like for a while people thought he was it was just a myth that he was still alive and still around and now everybody knows he's back, and but instead of being just like the one man, I guess Batman sometimes is that depicted as that. But he's you know the symbol the symbol of the Aquaman is standing for something more than it's standing for a revolution basically, right? And uh, and that's really cool to I I just love the journey that Abnet took with that. Um, yeah, and there's a bunch of stuff in this issue that. I mean, I, I
0: feel like, you know, if you're paying attention to any art right now, you see, like, Trumpism a lot of times parroted in art. And I feel like this does it in a way that is not as obnoxious as some other comics have been doing it. But, you yeah. know, sort of seeing the idea of, like, you know, um, real Atlanteans and, you know, pledging loath- oaths of loyalty and all that. You know, it's obviously not it, it's not a perfect one-to-one match, but you sort of just see, the I'd say, the tone of of this comic is certainly influenced by world politics right now. But like I said, it's done in a subtle enough way that it's not overwhelming or obnoxious. Right. Uh, Anything else to add about this issue? I don't think so. All right, let's move on then. We have uh, Batman, number 37, written by Tom King, illustrated by Clay Mann. Uh, This was... uh, this issue is set at a carnival where you have to come dressed as a superhero which leads to uh an amazing visual of Clark Kent dressed as Batman but still wearing his glasses outside of his cowl. <laughs> um which was which was made even funnier for me when I realized that Clark Kent doesn't need glasses. <laughs> like you know, you kind of forget that a little bit, and it's just this is purely just you know nobody's going to know that it's Clark Kent under that cowl. So it's just it's just a really funny, it's a very funny decision, right? Um, I, I will say I did not enjoy this issue as much as I did the first part of the crossover, but I still thought this is uh, a not bad Tom King Batman comic.
1: Yeah. Um it wasn't bad. I think it was yeah, definitely weaker than the the previous issue, although the idea of uh you know, Batman and Superman arguing over whether Batman could hit one of his pitches is uh fantastic. I think that's a really great a really great uh little bit of character there.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like that this this issue did the small character beats really well, mm-hmm. uh, but wasn't just I don't know I guess I guess this issue just felt a little forced in a
1: way where I felt last issue did not feel so forced. It did, and it was a little, um, it was a little annoying to read, but not not in the same way that Tom King's dialogue is annoying. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought some of the back and forth, um repetitive I guess I guess it has to do with with the structure of the script and the art like the part with them eating ice cream Mm -hmm. that was like way more annoying to read than it ever had to be agreed you know you can figure it out but it's just like (laughs) that's not really the best use of the comic medium to to deliver dialogue or tell a story Right. the way that it's done here. And that's compounded
0: by the fact that you have to keep reminding your brain that Superman is Batman and Batman is Superman. <laughs> so like, right. even under the best of circumstances for this artwork, it still was a bit annoying to read.
1: Yeah, yeah. And... But, you know... It's fun, and I guess I, guess I would prefer... I would prefer if all of Tom King's Batman were like this instead of the, you know absolute psychopath that he, he's written Batman as sometimes. Right, and, right. Um, you know, in that way, th- this felt like a comic that I would still happily read. Right, yeah, absolutely. Um, I have a feeling the next time we see a Batman comic from Tom King, it's not going to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. Yeah, probably Spo- not. Spoilers for a future DC3 cast. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs>
0: Well, I'll also say that I, I think that Clay Mann did a really nice job with this issue. I, I think he's somebody who I don't want to say his work varies in quality because that's that's incorrect. I, I think his his work is always pretty good, but I think that there are some character. He he's an artist that to me the characters he's working on make all the difference for how much I enjoy his work, mm-hmm. and I feel like he does a. I really like his Superman and Lois, even though yeah. Lois looks a lot
1: like uh, Sandra Bullock in this issue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, and also sometimes, sometimes his characters are looking in two different directions at once. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> no, I have not noticed that. But okay, hold on. Go to page. Uh... Oh, this is this is fascinating. Uh, radio here, it is. Go to page ten, and look at the middle panel with Selena. All right. Let's see where, where she's saying yes. He certainly is. <laughs> and there's another one earlier on, I think, that's like even more egregious than that.
0: As the uh, as the owner of a lazy eye, I appreciate this.
1: <laughs> I'm not making fun of anyone. Oh, I no, no, <laughs> uh, no. No,
0: I, I legitimately have a lazy eye, so this is a good thing for me. Clay man, draw my comic, and I've been By that, I meant a comic about me, The Adventures of Brian. <laughs> America's newest yeah. superhero. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I will also say, I do, and I don't mean this. Uh, I, I, okay, let, let me choose my words carefully here. I think this is by far the most sexualized we've ever seen Lois Lane. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Sure. Uh, and and that felt a little weird to me. Yeah. Uh, I I feel like it's just her and Clark's relationship is very rarely played for sexy. They they do
1: it with their pants and shirts on. Yeah, they, of course. Clark takes it out just of the pants. Right. And, right.
0: Yeah. And that only happened once, and that was to conceive John.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah, overall, th- this is a fine issue. I wish there were more... Tom King Batman stories that would allow for th- uh, levity is not even the right word cuz that's not really what i mean just would allow for more uh not <laughs> apocalyptic fear and anger
2: mm-hmm.
0: just just let batman have some stories where he's not a psychopath yeah that's all i want right all right, let's 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 jump over to Batwoman, number 10, written by Marguerite Bennett, illustrated by uh, Fernando Blanco. This is the uh, the end of the sort of Scarecrow arc we've been having for a little while now. And, you know, I really like all the people involved with this book, and I like the character a lot. This issue did not do too much for me. I don't know right. how you feel.
1: Um, same... Uh, you know, um, this book just feels like it's spinning its wheels. It does. It does some cool things visually and with subtext, but at a certain point, you can you can only do that for so long, right? And doesn't it right. feel like it's been doing that for many issues now? Yeah, I actually had a theory about that
0: as I was reading this issue. Which is, Mm -hmm. I wonder if we would feel differently about this book if there wasn't a Detective Comics. Like, if this was the only place we were getting Kate, would we enjoy the book more? But because we have this, like, really interesting, really involved and seemingly important stuff with Kate happening in Detective, does this feel less...
1: Is this book judged even harsher? Yeah, that could be. That could be. Oh man, there's some moments though, like I, I don't know. There's moments like when she's reunited with Sophia for like a couple pages uh-huh. in that vision or whatever. Um but yeah, I yeah, it's just I feel like I feel like this character has been in the same place since jh williams left her yes yes and there's all these suggestions about where she's going to go from here but we're not seeing any of it yet um and i'm i'm just i think my story continues to be i'm just ready for the next thing with her
0: yeah, and, and I, I wanna make very clear that although I really enjoyed the Kate and Renee pairing, my problems with this book are not that Kate and Renee aren't together. Right. I know yeah. there are a lot of people who feel that way. And and I, I would welcome more stories involving those two, but that's not the only way to make a good Batwoman story. Right. Like the yeah. one thing I, I don't know if you remember or if you were fond of this arc or not when um was it Mark and Draco? Did the last bit of her New Fifty Two book, and she uh-huh. had that almost like supernatural team with her.
1: Yeah, because she wasn't she like a vampire at some point. Yes, <laughs> or something yeah. I I dropped off somewhere around there. I wasn't the hugest fan of that stuff, but it
0: was something very different for the character. And I feel like yeah. everything else, like you said, since uh, since JH Williams left, has been very same. Save me. Yeah. Uh, we should also mention that Mark Lamming also did some of the art uh, in this issue. I, I'm a fan of his from his... He did that... um was it called? King's Quest book with Jeff Parker about the uh, Flash Gordon and Mandrake the Magician and all those uh, King Syndicate characters. Um, mm. But anyway, he did some of the art for this book, too. Um Well, that brings us to the 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 big the big book of this first week we're going to be covering tonight, and that is uh, Dark Knight's Metal number four. Obviously, this is written by Scott Snyder, illustrated by Greg Capullo. Um, After a month without a proper Dark Knight's Metal issue, we get this one. Um, I feel like this this. Well, you know, actually, I want to hear what you have to say first. What did you think of this issue?
1: (laughs) Well. You just brought up the point that we haven't seen an issue proper of this in a while, mm-hmm. and getting it back—it's so much of breath of fresh air compared to most of the tie-in stuff. Absolutely. Which, which wasn't—it's. I mean, it's not. A lot of the tie-in stuff wasn't bad, but really was just spinning its wheels. And when you when you read an issue of Metal proper, you you remember how good it is and how exciting it is compared to everything else metal is metal is like the book that's like throwing all these ideas out there and all the other books try to explain them. And I don't need most of this stuff explained.
0: Well, I I was going to say something very similar, which was that to me, this book is the only one of the if you include this and all the tie-ins together, this is the only book that realizes it's supposed to be fun Everything else yeah.
1: just treats it as
0: deadly serious.
1: Yeah, right. Yes, I agree. Exactly. Um, and it is fun. It's fun to the point of the you know there's some there's some stuff about this plot that I don't understand at all. <laughs> like <laughs> like you get to the world forge stuff and like, all right, so that's where worlds are made, and if they're no good, they get destroyed by whatever you know. I, <laughs> it's it's. It's actually very silly how much of this is is convoluted <laughs> right <laughs> uh you know to the point of of I can't figure out what's going on uh, especially towards the end but um but it's so much fun and it takes itself so uh tongue in cheek that I can't help but like it and um i mean he Bruce has a a gauntlet that he calls the five finger death punch right. So you know, there you go.
0: How much money would you bet that that was Capullo's idea that type, that name?
1: Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. of course.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's interesting. This is not to me. This book does not feel like either of the creators I'm going to mention, but the idea of not knowing what's happening and sort of figuring it out later was sort of the hallmark of, for me the early stages of my reading both Grant Morrison and Jonathan Hickman mm-hmm. but just, that was because the ideas were so big and complex that I didn't know what was going on I feel like with this there's just so many ideas and there's not enough time to fully explain all of them it's not like that this stuff is so needlessly complex like, you know, there were there were some times especially with like um with some of the the tie-ins to final crisis where I felt like Morrison was introducing 400 ideas that each one could be its own event going on at once. You know what I mean? This doesn't. This, these ideas aren't as rich as those ideas are. There's just so much going on that, that, that there's, there's no time to explain them. And so Snyder and Capullo almost say, well, we're not even going to bother trying. We're just going to make this as fun as we can and strap in. And I'm, all, I'm, I'm fine with that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would think about the page where Starro shows up and he says, "I'm back, losers." And like <laughs> Starro is basically, um, uh, I don't know, Kenny Powers or something in the in this situation. And uh, that's a good comparison. Yeah, and uh, I was going to say Eric Cartman. Sure. Yeah. Whatever. And uh, <laughs> screw you guys. I'm going home. Um uh Where he talks about. Uh, how he regrew himself from a piece of his own exploded tentaclaw <laughs> and the editor's box says C issue, uh, Scott and Greg, when did this happen? And the <laughs> the response is just uh, the, you know, the, the metal rock and roll oh, right yeah uh, <laughs> finger
2: yeah. hand
1: signal, you know, and yeah. it's like the horns the horns. Yeah. The devil horns. Yeah. And, and, uh, that's all you need. You don't, yeah, we don't need to know. We don't need to see there, you know, there could have been a tie in issue that showed that, but who, you know, you don't need that. Right. And I wish, I wish these events would happen this way more often. And I wish writers would feel more freedom to just do stuff like that. Yeah. And make Starro really silly and not explain anything, you know? And yeah. And it fe- it feels a lot like, I think Hickman and Morrison are good are good names to draw from because a lot of the, a lot of the ideas are more um, from things that Morrison touched when he was doing regular work at DC. And yet there's a escalation that's similar to what Jonathan Hickman does. huh. Um, yeah, I, it's just so much fun. It and the, and there's, there's the stuff with, uh, with the dream again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Oh, I had a question for you and Zach that I was hoping, uh, one of you would be able to answer. I, All right. See. So this is, this is the, the double page spread on 13 and 14 Okay, in our PDF. And it's the constellations yeah. in the sky. So there's the monitor, there's the anti-monitor and then there's this hawk one. Mhm. And is that just or or is that the weaponer? What is that? Is that the weaponer? Huh. I don't know. Interesting. Because we we see later that Hold on. Let me let me look at the the weaponer. No, it's not really that's not really what the weaponer looks
0: like. It could just be like the generic hawk, you know, like of the tribe of the hawk or whatever.
1: Right. So that was going to that was that was what I thought because then we see at the very end that Carter Hall is kind of in that role. Yes. But his costume he's I mean he's holding the same hammer, but his costume's not exactly like the one we see in the constellation. Right. So are we meant to is it meant to suggest that the the, the hawk is, you know, the being that goes along with the monitor and the anti-monitor? But when we see Carter Hall in that role, it's a an amalgam between that and his common Hawkman costume. Yeah, that's... You know a, what I'm saying? Yeah,
0: I, I, I think it's almost like, you know, that that is the traditional Hawk look and that we are seeing sort of Carter's, like, version of that.
1: Yeah. So then my... Yeah, my, my question was just basically because you guys probably know more about um, DC... Like Arcana than I do that 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 idea that constellation, you know we already know what monitor and anti monitor is. This is new for metal, right? As far as I'm aware, yes. Okay, yeah. I, I feel like I,
0: I can hear Greg Matasevich emailing us right now.
1: Well, he will, yeah.
0: Because <laughs> Greg knows all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, Greg's a good guy.
0: He is, he's he's one of the best. Um, I, I will say, I love so- seeing Black Adam show up.
1: Mm-hmm. Because I love yep. seeing
0: Black Adam show up in, in general.
1: Yep. Um So does that does that pretty much tell us that Shazam is spinning out of this?
0: I don't think Shazam is. No, you know, uh, f- for folks who listened to to last week's uh interview with Dan Didio, he mentioned that he felt that he that both legion of superheroes and um Justice Society were spinning out of an event that was current were spinning out of events that were currently happening. I think that we'll talk about this later. I think the JSA is going to be coming out of uh Doomsday Clock, and I think that uh, that Legion is somehow going to come out of this. I don't know how yet.
1: Legion, okay, all yeah. right.
0: Um, but no, I, I really think that Shazam, like he made it sound like there's been a long-term plan for Shazam that is contingent on one creative team becoming available. Mm. And so I don't know who that creative team is. It can't possibly live up to what I want it to be, which is Jeff Parker and Evan Shaner yeah um <laughs> yeah you know but but we'll see although i i trust me i wouldn't i wouldn't be upset about this um now fresh memory metal is six issues right yeah and yep. there's not another break month is there
1: i don't know if there's a break month but there is the wild hunt coming right right, right. um That's the only other special book I'm I'm aware of.
0: Because I was thinking about this today as I was writing up my soliciting Multiversity DC column, how we haven't seen any books announced that are spinning out of this yet. And so I'm trying to figure out when, like, if if there's going to be a January and a February medal issue, which I think there is, that means that the solicits that drop either in February or in March will be... The ones that 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 announce the books that are spinning out of this, or or at least that potentially could announce the books spinning out of this. Sure. So, um, yeah. So we'll see what happens in a month or two.
1: Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on this issue? Uh, just one other thing, Lady Blackhawk. Yeah,
0: I find it very interesting how Snyder and Capullo are changing a pretty classic DC characters uh like the the name lady Blackhawk means something, you know right. and they're making it something totally different,
1: yeah, and involving a different character right
0: yeah exactly
1: it's kinda of, i i'm thinking it's gonna only be temporary oh but, i'm sure it is, yeah, but that is interesting it is it's pretty cool i I enjoy it it also sounds like a like female led um uh, metal band? metal metal band or something. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, cool. It's cool design. Um, this, this book was wild. Like you get to the end and they throw like three or four wild things at you page after page. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. This is again, one of those situations
0: where I feel like if we didn't have solicits, life would be so much better in some ways as a comics fan. Like, if, you know, we're, we're obviously aware that the Hawks play a role in this book, but if you didn't know that Carter was coming back for that Hawkman found one shot, the reveal mm. of Carter would have been a lot more interesting.
1: Yeah, yep.
0: But, you know, such is life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, all right. It's time for everyone's favorite attorney slash solar-powered character. <laughs> uh, Future Quest presents Birdman. <laughs> written by uh, Phil Hester, illustrated by Steve the Dude Rude. Um, I can't be the only person who can only think of the attorney interpretation at this point in my life. Am I? Oh,
1: no. I, I see this. He's in the sweater. And I just think uh, Avenger, my personal digital assistant. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. I think of Show You Weenie. I think of, <laughs> you know, so many greats. I think of that Federico, Federico <laughs> Flintstone. <laughs> yeah. That that Apache Chief episode, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Chuck, it's so small. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just, uh, I got, I have a shrink gun, <laughs> 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 um, and you know, I I love Steve Rude's art. It's incredible. Yeah, uh, but this issue didn't really do a damn thing for me, and I think it is because. I mean, it sounds like a joke, but it is what you say. Like, when I when I see Birdman, there's nothing so unique or special about him that I want to see a straight interpretation of Birdman. <laughs> right. You know? And we didn't grow
0: up reading Birdman comics or watching the right. Birdman cartoon. If we did, that would be very different, I'm sure.
1: Maybe, yeah. but But it's still such a boring – like, really, without the attorney stuff, he's a rather boring character. Right. No offense to the creative team. I mean – they're doing as good as they can with what's really those cartoons are really dry. I don't know I don't know when the last time you saw like a Hanna-Barbera um <clears throat> you know Herculoids or whatever <laughs> they're so dry. Yeah,
0: they're they're not they're not all that interesting. Um
1: No. I did like I did like uh Falcon 7 showing up and then it being uh just a hollow filter that Yeah, yeah. That this lady was using, um, but I want I wanted him to say Birdman, get in here, yeah, in in a Stephen Colbert voice. exactly. Somehow,
0: uh, I don't know why both Birdman and the aforementioned lady had to be in their underwear so much in this issue,
1: but you know, stupid sexy Birdman, stupid sexy Birdman indeed. He- he was just trying to apply the tanning crayon. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there it is.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk about Green Lanterns, number 37, written by Tim Seeley, illustrated by... Who did this issue? I liked... Uh, oh, Carlo Barberi. Call it Carlo Barberi, yeah. Who's been good on this book. Yeah. Uh, I, w- I want to point out this cover for a second. I feel like if this wasn't drawn in a very modern style... This is like the most silver age cover DC's done in a very long time.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know what? I think we're seeing that more and more. Agreed, um, yes. There there were a few comics uh I've got like 3 weeks of comics that we haven't talked about yet on the show that I've read uh-huh. and I feel like a number of them have had covers like this.
0: Yeah, for, for those that haven't seen the cover, uh it's it's Baz and Jessica and they're in this like uh you know, it doesn't really matter where they are, but uh, Baz says, "Ring, find an exit now," and the ring says, "No escape possible. Probability of death one hundred percent." That is such a Silver Age cover. <laughs> yeah. It's not even funny, um, and I loved it. I thought that was that was a really great cover, and I think it also sets yeah. the tone for the book in a way that just shows you that it's supposed to be sort of more high adventure, a little bit maybe silly and, and not taking itself quite so seriously, which mm-hmm. I feel like if if you know i i think celia has done a nice job since taking over the book in one specific regard which is that i think that a lot of times under the pen of sam humphreys the book tried to come off as light but just read a little stuffy and i feel like celia has really loosened the book up a bit
1: yeah yeah i think so for sure and i think i think something i've been complaining about for years and years and years with Green Lantern books is that they all felt like the very same thing since, you know, since John's even, even in the John's days, like they were these, um, basically just space battles between the different Lantern Corps. So you're, all you're getting is a bunch of like screaming and different colored lasers getting shot (laughs) from, you know, one page to the next. And I feel like, uh, Tim Seeley is really telling a different story here it's a different angle he's getting these lanterns away from the he's getting them away from the mythology you know Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps is the book that's doing like the Guardians mythology the the core team type stuff and that book is a drag for me to read because it feels like too much of the same that we've been getting for a decade now Mm-hmm. Whereas this feels like something totally different, and while it doesn't always work, I think this arc this arc is really working for me. Agreed. Um, his previous issues weren't as much, but but it was something different. I can appreciate that. Um, but I really like the way that this is. I think it's well paced. I think it's something you know pretty unique that we haven't seen from the lanterns in a while. I think it's giving Simon some personality that he hasn't had.
0: Yeah, I I think the the biggest thing about Simon at this point
1: is that Simon Horny. He's he, Simon Horny, Michael. Exactly. Look at Banner. <laughs> it's it's uh he is. He's he's laying it down, really. <laughs> <laughs> you know, kinda get, kinda, it you know what it is? At the end it's the um it's the the episode of Seinfeld where Jerry uh uh tries to date puffy shirt no no he tries to date uh what's her name it's deborah messing oh yes yes and then and you know he's with her at that uh funeral or whatever it was or wedding i don't remember what it was but then you know she says the horribly racist thing just when he thought he like finally got with her and and was all happy and uh that's what happened here. Yeah, pretty much. Simon, Simon accidentally slept with a Nazi. And hey, we've all been there. That's, <laughs> so, Well, when you know, that's, again, this is my rule of online. I'm sure if you follow me on Twitter, you've seen me say this at one point or another. Never get horny. <laughs> Period. You yeah. just don't. That's every war that we've ever been in, every problem anyone's ever had, it was because they were horny. Every movie where there's like a plot that where everything goes south. Star Wars got ruined because Anakin got horny. That's the impetus for the entire... We wouldn't have it. There would be no Darth Vader if Anakin didn't get horny in the first place. So just don't get horny. So what you're saying is cornflakes and graham
0: crackers for all. (laughs) Does that work? No, that was like in the... In, like, the the 20s and 30s, people thought that graham crackers and cornfl- cornflakes were developed as a sexual repressant. Um,
2: <laughs>
0: see the movie The Road to Wellville, starring Dana Carvey and Anthony Hopkins, for more on this very topic. Um, I will not. Uh, it's probably best.
1: As the- a masturbation deterrent.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I do want to say I thought that uh, Carlo Barberi's work here was... Uh, continuing with with what he's been doing very well in this book so far. But I I thought especially, I liked his, um, I I feel like a lot of times both Simon and Jessica tend to be not as expressive as I want them to be. And I feel like in this book, in this issue, they were both like, there was just so much, there was so much on each of their faces. Almost every time you see them, they're expressing something more than they had under, the you know the previous thirty issues or whatever. Yeah. All right, let's um, let's get into Justice League number thirty-five, written by Christopher Priest, illustrated by Pete Woods. Um, I don't know about you, Vince. I absolutely loved this issue.
1: Yeah, I love the, I love what Priest is doing with with Justice League. It's it's wild um how good this is i mean it it does a couple of things i love i love when
0: the justice league isn't just about the seven people on the team so bringing kid flash into this i thought was great (laughs) bringing um Uh glenn is that his name into this (laughs) glenn gulia glenn exactly uh and yeah, you know, the the references to Martian Manhunter, all that. It, this this felt like the most lived in the Justice League has felt in such a long time. Mm-hmm. And damn it, is that
1: good? Yeah. Yep. And uh, there was a big multi page scene where people were just speaking in in Espanol <laughs> yes. and and none of it was translated, and it didn't matter right cuz you know we're we're all adults here we can we can figure it out right yeah <laughs> and uh and i think that's awesome i love when comics are willing to do that um yeah that leads right into the Martian, the john jones mention which which has me believing that priest is maybe going to be the one to reintroduce him maybe that'd be great oh man imagine if Imagine if Priest leaves Deathstroke because that's rumored to be happening sometime in the near future. Oh, is it? I have not heard that rumor. Yeah, I yeah I forget. Yeah, you forget I, when I, you're I'm in sure a somewhere
0: <laughs> because it's only going to be yes, a exactly. yeah.
1: yep. Right. Yeah. Of course. Ugh. Um, but uh, what was I saying? Oh, but if he were the one to launch a Martian Manhunter ongoing. Or a, another Justice League book where Martian Manhunter is, like, one of the team leaders or something. Mm-hmm. How cool would that be?
0: Yeah. That would be great. Um, I mean, I really liked his stuff with Cyborg here, too. Yeah. How Glenn, Glenn essentially says to him, like, you should be leading. Why aren't you? And Cyborg's answer is, is, is pretty good. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's just because both Priest and Vic are people of color. But I just think he really, he gets, he writes Vic better than Vic's been written in a very long time.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But he brings his blackness into it, too. Absolutely, you know? so, yes. Like, yes. that's an important, that's an important aspect of it. But, you know, but you're right, it's, it's. I think Priest is just a great writer. I, th- yeah. I, th- I mean, he took Deathstroke and a bunch of characters nobody gave a shit about for, you know, twenty years and 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 made him like one of the best books in superhero comics right now. So, yeah, yeah, I think he's just, I, he's just. I hope he's at DC for a long time, <laughs> Yeah, is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, There was a rumor a while back that he was offered to be the group editor for the Batman titles. Yeah. Like he turned it down. Yeah. And as happy as I am that we're still getting priest-written books, I wonder what a priest-led uh, division would look like.
1: Yeah, I do too. I don't know if I want that to be Batman, though. I don't think I do either. I'd want it to be the Justice League books. Like, he writes one, and maybe he's he oversees the other two, or something like that. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Did you um, see,
0: by the way, in the March solicits that he's bringing the JLA into an arc? Yeah, Justice League. I love that. Yeah, love it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Priest is the best. I and it's funny because you know I think both you and I have talked about this how we were not super because he took like essentially over a decade off from writing comics neither you or i were all that familiar with his with his sort of uh work up until pretty recently or we if we knew it we didn't know it as well as we know some other writers of, of his caliber you know
1: yeah i mean i i read some of it back in a time where i wasn't somebody who would pick up on how comics work and right. things like that. Like I, I remember reading some of it because I was told that priests, uh, you know, quantum and Woody and some of his black Panther stuff was really good, like essential reading. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm sure I've read some of it, but I don't remember a thing about it cause it was over a decade ago and I didn't care as much about like now I'm obsessed with the way comics work. right. Right. Yeah.
0: But, but but I was going to say is, I don't know, and I, I'm i sure a quick Google search would solve this, but I don't know if Priest chose to step away from comics for a long time, or if he felt like, or if, if you know, if there was just a falling out someplace, or if he wasn't getting the work he wanted to get. But whatever it was, he came back without any rust on him whatsoever.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, he, he came back stronger. Yeah. As strong or stronger than ever
1: um yeah and i just think i think part of it is um just from like the interview you did with him and some of the other stuff i've read and about how much he writes per issue mm-hmm. they j there just seems to be such a work ethic with him to go on top of his incredible uh skill and natural talent you know right there there seems to be like He's not gonna half ass an issue of even death stroke, you know right yeah. <laughs> like he's gonna write forty pages and have to condense it down into twenty, and it's gonna be great, yeah, and uh man, that's awesome i we should all aspire to be <laughs> Christopher priest, yes, agreed, agreed completely all right
0: let's let's talk about one of the bigger issues that came out this week, the debut of the Sam Humphreys penned. Uh Nightwing. This is this is the, the new direction for the book. Humphries appears to be on this book for the long haul. He said that this was the reason he left um Green Lanterns, so because he was given the opportunity to work on this character, and he's a big fan of of the character. And so um we get Bernard Chang on art, who I, I think the DC three overall are big fans of. And um I instantly liked this more than his green lanterns run.
1: What about you? I didn't. Really? Yeah, I think it's I don't know, I don't know if it's better or worse, but I don't care for it. I mean, other than Father John Misty showing up as the bad guy, <laughs> I'm not uh Oh, I think it's I think it was a mistake to leave this book in Bloodhaven for one thing, not because I have anything against Bloodhaven, but it just doesn't I don't know, it feels stuck between what Tim Seeley was doing and what uh you know, what he would like to do with the character and I just I'm I can't get myself to care about the judge character that's walking around killing people or whatever. Vince.
2: I his but. name
1: is Judge. <laughs> Judge, my <Mine? laughs> Uh I also think, as good as an artist as Bernard Chang is, he's left a lot to be desired when drawing t- uh, Dick's ass. <laughs> I think there was the one scene with with the the naked Dick ass, and it didn't really so it looks a little bony. I think.
0: Well, you so, know, <laughs> I uh, I won't argue with the ass. Comment. um now when i said i enjoyed this more than humphreys green lanterns i did not necessarily say i love this book but i did feel this was a better fit for humphreys style of writing than i think green lanterns was um again i i didn't think this book was great i didn't think it was terrible i i sort of liked how it began i i liked the idea of 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 the sort of uh You know, hoodwinking the old lady. That was kind of a a fun way to start the book off. I think it's a pretty hilarious idea to have Dick running his own CrossFit place. (laughs) Yeah. I can get behind that decision. Sure. Uh, Because that's, at least it's, you know, there is this sort of problem with Dick Grayson where he doesn't need to work and he doesn't have, like, an established career. You know, Bruce Wayne is a reporter. I mean, I'm sorry, Clark Kent's a reporter. That's such a, that's so important, his character. There's nothing like that for Dick, so giving Dick a job has always been kind of, you know, ancillary to his character, I guess. And this is the first time his job has seemed to fit his personality in any real way. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: I'll, I'll give you that.
0: But, I mean, you know... To me, it still seems, it still seems to me like Sam Humphreys does not, how can I put this nicely, I, I felt like this, especially with his Green Lantern stuff, and I, I think it's maybe true here too, I don't think Sam Humphreys and I agree on what makes these characters interesting,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so a lot of what he does, to me, is is uh, slightly misguided, Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. There's very little about this book, aside from the Grayson CrossFit stuff, that I feel like really really would have to be a Dick Grayson book. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we all presumed Green Lanterns was going to... Be in better hands under Sealy than, than Nightwing was under under humphreys and that's pretty much come true
1: yeah so
0: right no alarms no surprises
1: yeah i'm and i'm finding myself just short on words to even explain why i don't really like you said agree with this comic just doesn't agree with me and and uh I don't know what to do about that, so yeah, I'm not going to do anything. I guess. Yeah. Doing this show is hard without
0: Zach for a number of reasons, but I feel like Zach, oftentimes, is the one of the three of us that can summarize things really well. Like I, I feel like he would have the perfect way to describe this book. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, he's dead. So. He died. He died as he lived, very tall.
1: Somebody, somebody hacked his uh, legs with a <laughs> uh, with an axe and yeah. then timber, and he fell.
0: Yeah. That was that.
1: That was that. At least he got to play the Nintendo Switch a lot before he died. He did, yeah, yeah. And at least he died before the nuclear winter.
0: That is true. That is true. That's more than can be said for us. Um. But let's get into uh, one of the more delightful things from this week, the Super Sons of Tomorrow crossover. The first two parts in Superman and Super Sons, um, Patrick Gleason and Peter Tomasi are the writers of this. Uh, Jorge Jimenez drew the Superman issue. Uh, Right, Superman?
1: Jorge Jimenez drew the Superman issue, yes. Which is
0: odd because he's typically the artist on, you know, on Super Sons. Um, right. And who drew the, uh, who drew the, the Super Sons one? I'm, I'm, I'm it was a... Ryan, Be- Ryan, Ryan, Ryan ben- Benjamin. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I don't know about you. I really enjoyed this crossover thus far.
1: Absolutely. This is like, Oh man. This is, this is what I want out of a crossover between like the adult justice league characters and the teen ones. And especially when you're talking about bringing back the, um, what term do we want to use for, I mean, other than the the Titans of tomorrow, I guess the, the Titans of tomorrow, you know, yeah. but like that, the, that, particular, those particular characters that are from the era of Titans, that's like between, between the per- Perez stuff and now, right. Whatever era you want to call that.
0: Like the final crisis era Titans.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no,
0: no sorry. Infinite no, Crisis. Infinite Crisis. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My apologies.
1: Yeah. No, that's all right. I know um, what you meant. Yeah. I, I agree.
0: I, I think that there's, first of all, I think there's a lot more going on with uh, old Tim than I thought we'd get. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like he's he's more three-dimensional than he was in his first appearance in, in Detective. Yes. So it has that going for it, which is good. Uh in addition, we get a a lot of nice super uh Damien John stuff. And I feel like one of the one of the things that's been so fun about those characters is their sort of antagonism towards one another, specifically Damien's attitude towards John. But we see some legitimate concern and tenderness here, but mm-hmm. it's not out of character for Damien. You know, um, Tomasi and Gleason do a really good job of presenting Damien as caring as much as, I guess, he has the capacity to care. <laughs> Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. They nailed it. It's yeah. the perfect balance. And I'll say this about the Superman issue. the So the second half of the issue is basically a fight between the Tim Drake, Batman of tomorrow and... Mm-hmm. Superman? Yeah. Because Tim Tim is trying to kill John and that plays out in such a way where Superman is fighting Batman, but the whole time you you know that it's Tim. Like it's very apparent that it's Tim. It's not just him fighting Batman. Right. And he sets Superman up to fail in a way that's very Batman but also Tim. <laughs> right, yes, yes. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. <laughs> you yes. know, like they they nailed the subtleties of the differences between these characters and yeah.
0: um and I will say this about both artists, both Benjamin and Jimenez. They but specifically Ben uh Jimenez because he's he's more just you see more of cowled Tim in his issue. He manages to draw him both as recognizably Batman and recognizably Tim. Like mm-hmm. his body type is just different than Bruce's. And it's if you saw Bruce and Tim both in costume back, you know, next to each other, you would never guess who is you you would never not know who is who. Right. You know, it's very apparent despite the similar costumes. Just really nice work from everybody involved here.
2: Absolutely.
0: I, yeah. And we'll talk more about the this crossover when we get to the the books of next week. Um but let's round out the last three books of this uh, of this week here we got we got uh, Trinity number sixteen written by Rob Williams, illustrated by V Ken Marion. We get a dead shot crossover because I, I think it's it's in the sort of DC contract that every week has to have too many appearances by the members of the Suicide Squad. Yeah, it's kind
1: of... <laughs> God damn it. Uh oh. Haven't, I haven't uh, read The Suicide Squad in any of my books in, like, the last week or two. So that means there needs to be another one coming. Yeah. It's... Oh, God. I don't know. I Can I also say that... Um, uh, Deadshot just totally murks a bunch of people. Yep. And... Yeah. And, you know superman says deadshot saved us and that's one thing but then batman who again like has a code he's got a hero's code i guess i I guess if you're in a predicament and you kill somebody to save batman he doesn't care (laughs) right because like he's totally i i will find your daughter (laughs) lot you know like Even though you just murked a bunch of people and went against my code, and I let the Riddler do that, too, a couple months ago. And and I'm just cool with it now, I guess. It's just really... Can't you figure out a different way for that to go?
0: It just seems to me like this... Like, for whatever reason, DC wants the Suicide Squad to be complex... And so they write the other characters to recognize the complexities of these horrible people, but they never recognize the complexity of other villains
1: right yeah and they don't and they also are trying to fit suicide squad into the DC proper where that where they have always been but but correct me if I'm wrong I could be totally wrong because I, I haven't read a lot of that stuff from back uh-huh. in the day but that book had a completely different tone that was kind of all its own and while it was connected to everything else they didn't try to reconcile that tone with other books that were going on am i am i way off were there like suicide squad crossovers back then i mean there might have been i'm not gonna i have read
0: a lot of that stuff but it's been a while and i can't recall
1: they, okay okay here let me say it a different way okay They are trying to make the Suicide Squad mainstream in DC Comics right alongside the Justice League. And that is something – that's something I am certain did not happen back in the Ostrander days or whatever. No.
0: Um, It it seemed to me like the beauty of the Suicide Squad was you could tell a different type of story than your typical DC fare – and the reason the current Suicide Squad run is so bad is because they're not telling a different kind of story.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And every time they bring these characters in, they have to decide whether they're going to... They can't go full villain with them. They can't go full hero. But then you end up with these moral... Uh, it's, not even ambi- it's not even ambiguity.
0: No. It's, it's just... It, it it comes off as lazy writing a lot of times. Just lazy yeah. writing. Because if you want to have a complex character that, that has moral gray area, I mean, look at what Priest does with, with Deathstroke. This is nothing like that. Mm-hmm. They have never given... You know, the reason we're supposed to believe that Floyd Lawton's a decent guy is because he's a father. Not because of the way he acts. Just because his boys can swim and he impregnated somebody. That That's it. <laughs> Right, yeah. So (laughs) You 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 a fan of that terminology?
2: (laughs) Yeah, Yep. (laughs) Yep.
0: Uh so yeah. Yeah. This this is not great. Um Yeah. Where have you gone, Martian Manhunter Rob Williams? (laughs) Our nation turns its eyes to you. My wayward son. Uh, somebody I know was convinced the words of that song were Gary, You're My Wayward Son.
1: <laughs> Gary, you're my wayward son. Yeah. I can see
0: that. I've heard that from like four or five different... Like, I, I think I heard a comedian do a bit about that once. But I, I know a guy from high school who thought both that and that it was... Um, oh, what was the other song? This guy was famous for Missy... It was... Um, Raunchy like a
1: hurricane? <laughs> oh jeez, which makes no sense at all. No, that's terrible. That's, yeah. Hurricanes are not raunchy. But that
0: guy, or the horny. the best of his though, and I was saving this one for last because it is the best. Was uh, okay. So, so, so I'm I'm gonna type in the chat window here <laughs> lyrics that you're gonna sing to the tune of Pour Some Sugar on Me. Oh jeez. Okay, and you're gonna hear it. You're gonna say like, Oh wow, I kind of hear it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, but you have to do this. I, I, I'll be leading the witness here.
1: So these complicated joke setups tend to blow up in your face, right?
2: <laughs> awesome sugar cone, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, awesome sugar cone, yeah. And that one, it, now next time you hear that song, you will
1: hear awesome sugar cone, yeah. All right. If so. it was Gary, Gary, you're my wayward son. What would the next line be? There'll be Pete <laughs> when you're done. <laughs> Pete. <laughs> Pete.
0: I don't know, why not? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to fuck it up here.
1: Alright, I thought it was... Okay. <laughs> All go right. for it. what did you think? No, no, that's fine. no I don't know, that's fine. I don't have anything. It was going to be peas or something. Okay. Alright. This is stupid. This is stupid. Okay. <laughs> what are we doing? This Zach, come I was back to the dead and rescue us.
0: Yeah. Um. Keep it loopy. Keep it loopy, Zach. In the afterworld. Um... <laughs> So uh, the Wildstorm number ten, <laughs> written by Warren Ellis, illustrated by John Davis Hunt. Oh, my This
1: book is like a good gabagool. I, I had some gabagool today, my friend. Oh, was it as good as the Wildstorm number ten? Is anything as good as the Wildstorm? No. It, very
0: few. Very few, very few things are. This was excellent. It's an excellent issue. Uh,
1: I Warren Ellis can just take you know every other issue to bring back an old Wildstorm character in a new way, and and then exit the book at issue 24 and I'll be just fine. Man, when it revealed who the mayor was? Uh-huh.
0: I was like, "Oh shit." Yeah. It's Jack Hawksmore. It is Jack Hawksmore. Yeah. Uh for
1: some reason I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I didn't I didn't either because I'm a big idiot or something. Yeah, same. Cuz it's totally obvious. Yeah. But uh yeah, it's it's awesome. I also liked how there was
0: there was a line in this that essentially explains the conflict between the two organizations really simply. Mhm. Where it's like, you know, I'm trying to find it now. You know, one of the things I like about this book is that although there there is a lot of complexity here, there's also a very simple conflict at the center of all of this. Yes. And I feel like sometimes it can be a little bit hard it can be easier to lose sight of the simplicity of the conflict because of the sort of technical jargon that happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but there's a line. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to find it here. Where uh, when Jenny is talking to uh, to what's her name? To the doctor. And just is like, International Operations is an intelligence agency that became part of everything like cancer and now runs the world. Skywatch is a secret space program that controls everything that happens off-planet. And uh they're held in mutual check by a set of treaties that stop them from destroying each other with all the rest of us caught in the middle. Like that is essentially the plot of the book laid out very clearly. But yeah. it, but it's but it's not delivered in that like classic comics here is Robin whose real name is Dick Grayson, my boy my boy Ward. Like, you know, it's yeah. it, it's just it's it's masterfully done by
1: Ellis. If if comics have to be decompressed in the way that they tend to be these days. I wish they would all do it like this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, it's just perfect in that way. And that includes explaining, you know, the plot for everybody for maybe the second or third time, but in a way that's really economical and, and, and like snappy, yeah. I guess, you yeah. know, it's not, yeah. Yeah. And, oh, man, Henry Bendix in this is oh. <laughs> amazing.
0: <laughs> Loved the multiple jokes to lizard people.
1: Yeah, yep, yep. Um,
0: and, man, we say it every month, but John Davis Hunt. I, yeah. You know, he, uh, I don't know, did you read Clean Room, that bookie with Miquel Simone? No, I didn't. I remember, I should like paging through it and being like, Oh wow, this guy's really good, but there's a big difference between that and what he's doing here,
2: uh-huh,
1: which is just so next level. I love my probably my favorite art thing about this issue is something really it's one panel and it's really simple and stupid, but it's when uh what's her name with the pink hair, the doctor, yeah. Right, she's got a name though, right? I yeah. can't
2: yeah, I just, yeah,
1: I can't pull it anyway, uh when she says, "How about reptilian aliens, big green uglies and she's pointing she's pointing her fingers out at us with two fingers pointing down, and it's not only does it not look awkward, it looks like a real hand doing this mm-hmm. but it also looks like a demonite. <laughs> like the way that they've been designed for the new wildster- like Right, yeah. So- somehow it's perfect, you know? Yeah. It's a perfect representation or mime of the thing that she's talking about. Yeah. And that's so simple, and it's something that could be easily overlooked, but it immediately got my attention.
0: There's a bunch of moments like that, for me, per issue here, where you're just looking at yeah. this book and you think, you know, anyone else drawing this wouldn't bring the level of sophistication and flow that that Davis Hunt brings to it
2: mm-hmm.
0: so good Mwah. <laughs> Uh alright that, that brings us to Wonder Woman Cona number 4 written by Gail Simone illustrated by Aaron Lepresti and um, is this the first time in comics history you are, you are the person to ask about this because you are currently reading all of Wonder Woman um, how far <laughs> along are you by the way
1: uh, I'm on issue number 30 in volume two and that's George Perez's okay. run. So. so we're talking
0: like 1990 almost 1988. Okay. And when was the, when was the DC invasion? Oh, maybe that was 87 or 86. So yeah. Okay. It was 89. Okay. Oh,
1: late 88, early 89. I just finished that. So I'd be in 89 now. I
0: think. Okay, All right. Uh, in your knowledge, have you ever read uh, anyone else asking Wonder Woman to show her boobs off?
1: <laughs> uh, as explicitly
0: yeah. as Conan does it here. Yeah,
1: Blue, Blue Beetle just did it. In oh really? Okay. Did you see my? Did you see my Blue Beetle horny Michael uh, tweets?
0: <laughs> I did not. Know. I, no, no, I, I haven't been very hashtag online
1: this week. He doesn't say show me your chest, but like. He, either him or Rocket Red say something like, "I I wouldn't even know what to do with all of that," or something, like that, <laughs> something like that. Basically, okay, they basically do that, that
0: that gif from uh, Friday, like the damn yeah, okay. yeah, yeah.
1: So so here's the thing, um, the Perez Wonder Woman stuff, which is by far, you know, I read the entire volume one. And now this part of volume two. And it's by far the best Wonder Woman stuff. Like, I would just... If I was anyone, I would skip anything before <laughs> volume two. Because um, the old Wonder Woman stuff is corny and bad. And um, and the Perez stuff has its problems. Like, there is some weird racial stuff, stereotypes. And there is some, like, weird... Weirdly exploitative uh, imagery when you're th- when you're talking about Wonder Woman but on the whole it's pretty good but anytime it's it's fairly self-contained away from the J- Justice League characters and stuff cuz she doesn't even join she doesn't even join the Justice League until issue 28 I think okay and uh but basically anytime she talks to so far it's only been a few issues but anytime she talks to anybody outside of the sort of Wonder Woman realm of storytelling so like Blue Beetle you know, Rocket Red, all these like JLI characters and stuff, uh-huh. they're all horny for her. <laughs> <laughs> like they're all overtly like slobbering over her. And Rocket Red like keeps it. <laughs> he he does. He he basically he there's one panel where he says, I'm a married man, I'm a married man, like ten times. <laughs> and it's it literally is like <laughs> text Hello, shit, you know? nurse yeah it is it is it's totally that so so no nobody says like show me your bosom but they might as well
0: <laughs> okay and we find out later on that it's not that conan's a creep
1: <laughs>
0: right it's, it's that she has a scar that will reveal who she really was
1: classic misunderstanding
0: yep yeah if i had a nickel <laughs> for every time i uh mildly sexually harass somebody and then it turns out I was just trying to point out a scar of theirs.
1: <laughs> yeah. Actually not, I really, I... not
0: so mild sexual harassment, not that I'm really thinking about it, but you know
1: <laughs> Right. It's fairly serious and get you fired from pretty much any job. Yep. Um unless you're president of the United States of America.
2: Yeah.
1: But that's my life <laughs> 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 We're we're on a real kick here. We are <laughs> real hamburger kick. Twenty eighteen year of the hamburger. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I
0: have cancer. Um. Why anyway. did Coden and Wonder Woman? Now I was doing Stan Lee essentially, but uh. <laughs>
1: Excelsior. <laughs> All
0: right. So, you, so love is- you love this shit issue. Why would you love this shit
1: issue? It's not shit. Why kidding. is it shit? I'm just kidding. It's not. It's just, it's just boring to me. Well, see, I thought this issue was the first one that was a lot of fun. Like, it's more fun. I'll give you that. They go into town. They go to a bar. Conan snatches a purse, <laughs> like again against uh, a a purse of coins, so that they can have dinner and drinks. And he's like being very playful about it, and she's kind of you know, oh, that wasn't really ethical, was it? And and like, but then they have like a drinking contest almost and Diana gets like blackout drunk and it's, it's just really, it's a fun issue and it doesn't, yeah, there is the stuff about like, show me your chest, you know, but like I trust Gail Simone to know that like, as she's doing that, it's not, it's not meant to be pervy. Like in the end you find out what it was all about. And of course it's not, that doesn't like excuse it or anything, but it's, it's mixing Conan's brutish nature with a character like Wonder Woman, you know? And I think, I think Gail Simone is doing a fine job of doing that. And to me, this issue is really fun because of it. And of course they get in a bar fight at the end and it's just kind of like, you know, if this were the only issue of Wonder Woman, Conan, I'd be, thrilled with it you know I, I don't know if I've been overjoyed with the miniseries as a whole but I thought this was a really fun issue that was kind of unlike unlike the other ones
0: I mean I don't disagree that this is the most fun issue of the book so far but I think that it just kind of shows you that there's nothing to this miniseries because yeah. because the fourth issue of a miniseries of a six-issue miniseries should have far more meat on its bones than this does. Yeah. So, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Well, anyway, uh, let's take a quick break here to pause for a message from one of our other Multiversity shows, and we'll be back in just a minute with the December 27th Reviews.
1: Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so
0: you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week
1: out. And now, back to your show.
0: And we're back with the December 27th comics, starting with Action Comics number 994. This is the Jurgens Fest, written and illustrated by Dan Jurgens with a team of inkers. <laughs> Art Thiebert, Trevor Scott, Johnny Desjardins, And Joe Prado, wow, what?
1: That's a lot of inkers. It is a lot of inkers.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, How many inkers does it take to finish a a uh, a script? Apparently, the answer is four. Um, so this is this is more time travel. More time travel hijinks. We uh, Superman is being incredibly uh, obtuse. To, to, to quote the, uh, the Shotshack Redemption. And yeah. It just generally, my I liked a lot about this issue. I thought that Superman did not act like Superman through most of this issue.
1: They turned him into like a helpless, like he's very much at the mercy of what Booster's doing. Mm-hmm. And it seemed more like rather than, than having that be a natural thing, it seemed like it was just a function of needing Booster to do stuff. Yeah. And I didn't mind it, but it was noticeable. See, I just felt like, you know, Superman is
0: constantly, this character, putting others before himself. And if they wanted to make a point about that, it could have been done much better than in this way, where he just kind of seems like he doesn't give a shit about unwriting existence because daddy. Yeah, Right.
1: um, right. But...
0: Like I said, overall I still I still more or less enjoyed the issue. It's just nice to have Booster back.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean that's that's really all it takes to get me to enjoy this this arc so far. You know? I'm not really all that invested in what's going on, but Booster is there and he's he's the booster that we've always known. You know, there's nothing about him that needs to be updated or changed. Mm Mm-hmm. You know that that's booster, and we get more booster now.
0: And we didn't get Steve Lombard getting all uh, hard about him either. We were just able to enjoy it
1: <laughs>
0: for, for yeah. what it was,
1: right? And there was a little bit of Lois Lane, Sam Lane stuff. Like they're they're bringing that back into. They're trying to get those two to to reconnect.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We haven't seen Sam Lane in a while. I feel we haven't. When, when seen was the... the last time?
0: At least since the new... Wasn't he a player in the New 52 when Clark... Like, when his identity is revealed, wasn't Sam kind of a part no. of that?
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. We haven't seen him in Rebirth yet, though, have we?
0: I don't believe so. And don't forget, yeah. Superman is the only character thus far that has had a lot of the New 52 Charlie Brown hand-waving hand, hand waving away.
1: Yeah, you exactly. Know, so,
0: yep. um, yeah, so it, it's been a... It's been a while in publication history, but it's been seemingly even longer in fictional character history. Yeah.
1: Although I'm wondering, were there some mentions of him in Superwoman? I don't remember. Oh, there may have been, but again, I don't think we've seen him though. But that
0: that was also before the merging of the two Supermen. Yeah. So. Right.
1: I find it weird that that merging happened it feels like it happened a while ago and so far like none of the other books are doing a similar thing yeah right it seems really weird that Superman just did that a year ago and everyone everything else is still in limbo
0: I mean I guess I guess the 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 sort of logical answer to that is that only Superman and his characters were that fucked
1: up by the new 52 yeah but you know they're gonna do it though, like they have to there are aspects that they have to still reconcile mm-hmm. right like I feel like like the Titans of tomorrow are gonna probably do a little bit of that. see, I wonder if
0: the plan was always to have Dr. Manhattan be the agent of all of this, but eventually they just realized like no, we have to get the Superman books online before Doomsday Clock is done. Sure. And so the other ones can wait until after Doomsday Clock.
1: Yeah. That could be. Yeah.
0: Which we will get to shortly. Oh we will. Yep. Uh, anything else to say about this issue? No. Cool. Me too. Uh there is just a Batgirl, number 18, Oh, Harley Knight, as the uh title of the <laughs> issue was uh was titled. This is a, a vaguely Christmassy issue. We get mm-hmm. a character named The Rapper, and there are some good-slash-lame jokes about him uh, busting rhymes. but It's meant like wrapping presents. Yeah. Or, or even Christmas wrapping, if you will, for quoting the overrated Waitress's Christmas song. Um, this issue was written by Hope Larson, illustrated by Sam Basri. And, uh, yeah,
1: Sammy Basri, uh, back again. Yeah. I think we... Didn't we see... Uh, Basri was on a different book not that long ago, and it was kind of a surprise.
0: I believe so. Yeah.
1: Anyway, I like this art a lot. Me too.
0: I th- I, th- I think it fit the issue really well, and it also feels not too out of place from what Chris Wild Goose is doing mm-hmm. on the other issues. Yeah, I thought this was a fine issue. I uh, I like that this this book seems to be. Uh unlike some of the other books in Rebirth, it seems like there are very distinct arcs and then there's an issue or two as of breather sort of breather one and done stories. And I, I'm always a sucker for that. I
1: like yeah. that. Um I agree. And Hope Larson is like on some miracle shit, I think, because she put Harley Quinn as a major focus of this issue, and I didn't hate her. Right, exactly. And uh, that's awesome. And and the and it was like uh, you know as as is the Batgirl post Burnside uh, want to do, it put a like dickhead millennial app guy <laughs> yeah. at the center of <laughs> at the center of the conflict. And basically made him do like a mini Christmas Carol thing, <laughs> which, yeah, yeah, it's just it was just such a fitting extension of of what Batgirl's been doing lately. Yeah, agreed. This is the way to do an in
0: between arcs issue.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh
0: hmm Yeah. All right. Anything else to say about that? Nope. It's time for Batman meal. Okay, so,
1: this is this is notable for only one thing, and then we can move on. Go for it. Do, do you remember how the last issue ended with 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 not Bane breaking not Batman's back? Yeah, the, the, this issue opens immediately with Terry saying, "Oh, you really thought the break the back over the knee routine would work on a suit that can withstand gunfire?" Well, thanks for wasting all of our time. Nope. Like, you can't even, like, pretend for two minutes that it's a serious – you know, this is like – I like when comics do the super dickery thing where they tell you one thing is happening and then they reveal why it's not. Right. But it's got to be better than that, you know. That's such a cheap and lazy way of pulling off that that trope. So, yeah. not, Not a fan of this book still. Yep.
0: Put it out of its misery, DC. Kill it.
1: Kill it if you have to. I was
0: just going to say that. You beat me to it. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about Batman Creature of the Night, book two, written by Kurt Busiek, illustrated by John Paul Leon. I'm continuing to enjoy this. I I know Zach was not as big of a fan of this as we were, but I like this issue a lot.
1: Yeah, I did too. I really like this Again, I'll just reiterate what I said last time that I didn't think that anyone could find like a unique take on a Batman origin story that I would give a shit about. Um and Kurt Busiek managed to do it in a really interesting way by by having a not Bruce Wayne sort of try to create the same life for himself and you know, last issue it was about how Last issue was about how a kid with limited resources couldn't make a life for himself that was similar enough to Bruce Wayne's. And this issue is more about somebody who does all these resources, have all these resources now, trying to make a life for himself that's similar to Batman in in the real world. And then watching how that gets screwed up or corrupted or kind of undermined. You know? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. To me, the first issue
0: was all about, um, like, why having a Batman in your life would be a very good thing. And this issue was is all about why having a Batman in your life would be a very bad thing. Yeah. Yeah, I like this issue a lot. I, and I think that Leon is doing a really nice job of... Like, I love how he mixes in sort of the old-timey Batman comic stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And how it doesn't feel gimmicky when it goes back to that stuff. You can definitely tell that it's referencing sort of the older work. And it's uh, it's just it's just a really beautiful-looking comic. Yeah. And I feel like yeah. also... Uh, a couple things I just want to say. I feel like... Um, Uncle Alfred, whatever his name is, I feel like his homosexuality has been handled really well here, mm-hmm. where it's not exploitative at all. And uh, I feel like if this story was written even five years ago, it would have been a much bigger deal. I feel, it's handled very well here. Right? I really like that aspect of the story. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, it's... They're they're playing with the idea that it's a big deal for the time that the, that the comic is set in. Mm-hmm. And I think that that I think it's done in a really appropriate way. Um, I think that's a take on Alfred that just makes sense to me. You know, like yeah. I guess I just think of Alfred as gay in like regular continuity too. You know, right? I mean, I I, I know <laughs> he has a do. daughter, he has Julia now. Yeah, that's true. But I agree. Yeah, I don't know. I just think he is. That's all. Yeah. You can't tell me I'm wrong.
0: <laughs> Cue all of the internet telling you you're wrong. <laughs>
1: yeah, fuck off. Yeah. yeah. Anything else to say about this issue? No, it's it's gorgeous. I think it's it's got a real good chance of showing up uh, at the end of the year. In I, <laughs> I'm already talking about 2018's uh, wow. end of year stuff. I'm trying to I'm trying to keep. This stuff in my mind, you know. I understand because I I forgot so much over the last year, and then when it came time to answering those polls, I was like, I can't remember what I read a year ago. So I, I think I think it's got a real chance to be a one of the best miniseries we'll read all year. It I, looks just beautiful, it every does. page. Yeah. Hey, can I throw an audible your
0: way? Sure. We have a, a lot of books to cover still, and the the episode's going a little bit long. I'm going to save sort of the two or three important books for the end of our conversation. Can we just fly through the sort of chaff for a minute here? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. All right, uh Blue Beetle 16, anything to say? No. Same here. Uh yeah, it's the it's teen, teen romance.
1: Than it was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The like the teen teen bantering romance stuff feels better than it did before when Giffen was writing it. But again, this is a book that just needed you know, more than a fresh creator, it just needed a fresh start.
0: It needed a hard like, reboot.
1: Yeah, basically.
0: And we yep. didn't get it. Yeah. Um, Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps. Anything to Ooh, say,
1: boy? Uh, this was uh, guy. Guy is terrible. I hate guy. But and you always like, hate guy. I know, but this was a guy-heavy issue. And he was just obnoxious with his four, the four, four finger, four four cor yeah. yeah. Oh, terrible. Guy sucks.
0: I wish Alice was on the show right now so we could determine who of the cl- of the four Corpsmen or each of the classic four horsemen. From, yeah, right from WCW, but oh, right? man. Uh, yeah. Anyway, nothing else to well, add there. We'll
1: ask her that later.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's. Jump over to Nightwing the New Order.
1: Um I don't I mean I don't I don't I don't like this book at I, all. I know you don't. <laughs> Do you have anything to say about it?
0: Not really. I mean I, I I guess as far as like unimportant Elseworlds type books, it's better than I thought it was gonna be. But I have no specific thoughts of
1: this issue. This is just not Dick Grayson to me. Even when he's bargaining at the end and he's like, Oh well we'll change some aspects of it so that you know we'll fix it, I swear. Like it just doesn't sound like Dick, you know, like he's compromising and <sighs> I don't know. No, I agree with all that. I do. Lex Luthor is Stanley Tucci. Yes, he is. Uh
0: yeah. Did you read Suicide Squad? I did, yep.
1: What the fuck? I thought you were I thought you dropped this book. I I always say that I do and then I then I read every other book and I say well I might as well read Suicide Squad as well. Any thoughts on this? Uh well they they fried Killer Croc's brain. Did you read it? Yes. Yeah, they fried Killer Croc's brain so like he and Enchantress aren't a thing right now and they also Harley and Rick Flag are over. Yeah. So I don't know
0: why you do Vaguely interesting things with these characters. If you're just going to undo them all, and I'm yeah. not saying those were great decisions in like in story or anything, but at least they're a little bit different. And now we're just reset back to the status quo.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, all right, uh, the demon hell is earth. Anything to say?
1: Uh this was. I'm liking this.
0: Me too. Uh, is a, lot a of fun. Um, there was a Demon Knights reference. There was. That's that's why I wanted to talk about this briefly. That's the only thing I have to say that isn't just like, oh, yeah, this is fun. Uh, I did like the Demon Knights reference.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Was... They're getting the band back together. What if Shining Knight shows up? Oh, man. He I, won't. But He won't. Um, I will
0: say this. Of all the new 52 books, that one makes the most sense to keep in continuity as it happened so long ago. Yeah. There's no reason to take it out of continuity. Right. Um, but yeah, that was a fun reference.
1: Yes, it was. Overall,
0: this is a really interest this is a really fun take on this character. I'm sure it's not gonna be the most significant book of all time, but it's fun. Um
1: Let's see, the Hellblazer, anything? Um This is like perfectly acceptable, unspectacular Hellblazer This is a replacement-level Hellblazer comic. It is, yeah. Yeah. Double crosses, magic gadgets, spells. Yep. Yeah. A reluctant team-up. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, by the numbers, Hellblazer.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm going to circle back to The Flash. I was going to talk more about The Flash, but we we have a lot of other stuff to cover. Anything to say about The Flash?
1: Yeah, Scott McDaniel on pencils. That was a surprise. Yeah, really nice. Really nice. Glad he's back in the fold. Um... Uh, Sheriff David Clark, uh, ban- recently suspended from Twitter. Yep. Abuses the inmates. No surprise there. He wants to taste their blood. Yep. Yep. Exactly.
0: Yep. It's fine. Uh, and I guess. I guess we're talking about Wonder Woman here.
1: Yeah. This is. So. <laughs> at first I thought that they were going to keep the DH dark side uh-huh so so that when they like got him in the new fifty two or something Zach Efron could play him or something like that
0: <laughs> you mean the d c e u not the new fifty two
1: is that what i said? yeah they're, they're gonna
0: relaunch the new fifty two as That's a gonna... zach Efron vehicle yeah
1: it's gonna be movies now yeah <laughs> the new fifty two is the movies rebirth is comics, then they're gonna have to rebirth the movies. you understand all this right? No, it has um... to be your bull. <laughs> Richard, what's happening? Um, Oh, no, there's a cliff. um, (laughs) Can't stop, don't wanna.
0: Not here, or here so much, but right here.
1: Goddamn.
0: R.I.P. Chris (laughs) Farley, 20 years ago
1: in December. That's right, yeah. Yeah. This is like a major DC Rebirth, John's development happening in Wonder Woman written by James Robinson and nobody's talking about it. And I don't think it's that good, but the fact that it's happening and nobody's really talking about it is weird. Well,
0: okay, I I have a couple thoughts on that. Um, I I don't disagree with you, first of all. Um, I feel like uh, James Robinson's job right now in DC, and I might have said this in the show before, is to like connect all the pieces that need connecting but nobody wants to connect. Like this mm-hmm. is his penance for leaving. It's like he has to come in and do these these jobs that no one really wants to do. You know like, we gotta get Grail in there, we gotta get Darkseid back to normal age. But James, yeah you know, come here bud. <laughs> you know, um that's why like he has like um Telos coming up. Doesn't he have Telos coming up in the uh, in Trinity
1: maybe or something? Oh my god, does he? I believe Holy so. Holy shit! Or demos? Oh.
0: Deimos? Deimos? I okay. know. He-
1: yes. No, it's De- Deimos. that demos. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense than Telos. I think Telos might be coming too, dude. We're never gonna see Telos again.
0: Oh man! I'll I'll bet you my left not. All right, look it up right now. I want I want to look up DC's January and February solicitations for Wonder Woman. I'm gonna talk while you do that. Okay. So look it up. Um. So you know, th- this issue. As Zach and I said last month, at least something is happening in this book now. And I kind of feel the same way about this issue. At at least there is something happening here. I don't necessarily think that Zeus being alive and then dead again, all in the span of like two issues, is exactly the most inspired storytelling of all time. Uh, But at least there is something happening here. I also like the idea of Wonder Woman maybe being a little bit pissed at the Justice League for showing up when they did. I thought that I thought that part of the issue rang very true to the character. Like, she wanted to defeat him, and so she was upset the Justice League showed up, but she understood why. It just seemed like that was a relatively nuanced take on Diana, which we haven't seen Robinson necessarily yeah. do.
1: It's Demos. It is Deimos? Okay. I was hoping yeah. it was Telos, but still. No, t- Telos is no.
0: <laughs> yeah. Even so, like, it's still another, like, who gives a shit about Deimos? Um <laughs> Remember Tell Us had that book? Like, after Convergence? Yeah. yeah. Remember that?
1: Yes, yep, I do. Jeff <laughs> guess, what, guess what our next reading series is. Yeah.
0: Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. We said a Damage is back next week when Zach's back. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, anything to add about this? No. Yeah. I'm hoping that now that this is behind us, Robinson can give us something better than this.
2: We'll
0: see. We'll see. All right. Um, let's. Uh, I, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna go alphabetically. I'm just gonna throw some books at you here. These are the books we're gonna talk a little bit more about. But I'm. I'm kind of building up to the big. The big mothers here at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the end of the commanding Challenge.
1: Yeah, let's do that.
0: Uh, so this definitely had the most saccharine possible ending.
1: <laughs> yep. And this I do what Dan DeDio cried about.
0: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, I don't necessarily think it was all that great, but I don't think it was as terrible as, like, if you, if you described to me, like, at the end of the book, Jack Kirby himself is going to show up (laughs) and teach a lesson about imagination. Yeah. I thought it would be really dumb. And this is only kind of dumb.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Uh... Well, first of all, I loved the little dream sequence with the, the, Commanda. uh, yeah. Commanda, the lady, <laughs> lady Commandy, whose real name is apparently Kirby dot, <laughs> yeah, which was odd, but yeah, then Kirby showing, up. Oh, Oh, and communist rats forming a giant mecha rat yep. was amazing. Um, but yeah, then Jack Kirby shows up and he says a lot of like, Hey kid, you got a lot of spunk type oh. shit, you know? And, and I don't know. I guess it all it all sounded kind of right, yeah. and it was it wasn't disrespectful. I don't think. No, um, but uh, it was it, it was pretty silly. Yeah, it, it's
0: kind of like non singing Willy Wonka, <laughs> like
1: pure imagination. <laughs> you mean when he's in the tunnel and he's like, <laughs> yes. "No, which way you are going?" <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it scares the shit out of me.
0: Uh, a friend of mine sampled that in one of his songs back in college. Fantastic! And it was uh, it was before that sort of stuff. I feel like it was before the like Willy Wonka appreciation came back around. Sure, and it was great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> this issue fine. You know, I feel like first of all, one of the things that I thought the Dio said that was interesting in my chat with him last week is that like they've wanted to do Commandy for a while, but they've been specifically avoiding it because Commandy just doesn't sell. And yeah. On one hand, that bums me out as an answer, because I feel like there are some things that if they want to do it, they should do it, despite knowing it's not going to be a huge success. But they kind of did that with this, and they tried to do yeah. something interesting with Commandy, and I think this was a fun experiment overall. Even if it's not the best comic I've ever read, I thought overall this was a fun challenge thing. Your yeah. thoughts? No, I completely agree. Yep. Um, Did you read Paul Levitt's letter at the end?
1: I did. It was sweet.
0: That was the nicest part of the issue. Yeah. Uh, For those that haven't read it, essentially it says that Len Wein was supposed to write the epilogue because Len Wein had worked on the DC Challenge, the book this is kind of modeled after, and had known Kirby the longest of anybody at DC. But when he went in the hospital... Levitt's got the job, and Levitt's also worked on the DC Challenge, and Levitt's had known Kirby since he was 14, as opposed to uh, Ween, who knew Kirby when he was 11. And so, you know, <laughs> but and I thought, I thought Levitt struck a really nice tone, and he said, like, you know, I'm glad I got to do this, but I know that Len would have done it better. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was it was very nice. It was nice, yeah. 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 Uh, so, Kurt, I, I, this is, listeners are not going to give a shit about this. But uh, Vince, I'm doing maybe the dumbest thing I've ever done in my entire life right now. Okay, I'm watching. I I, I have the TV on in the background with the sound off, and uh, I was just channel surfing, and it's the it's a Dave Matthews concert, so I'm just watching a <laughs> Dave Matthews concert but not hearing anything.
1: <laughs> All right,
0: <laughs> it's incredibly dumb. There is no value to this whatsoever. <laughs> All right. Um, she
1: wakes up in the morning.
0: Exactly. Uh, I've been saying this for, like, five years now, but I truly believe it to be true. Like, next year <laughs> is going to be the year that Dave Matthews becomes the, like, unironic indie rock influence for a while. Hell yeah. Like Jimmy Buffett yep. was a year or two ago? Yeah, you know,
1: like that. Yep. Sure. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah, it's gonna yep. happen. All right, Hell l- yeah.
0: let, let's briefly touch on uh, part three of the uh, Super Sons of Tomorrow crossover, the Teen Titans issue. Um, again, written by Tomasi and Gleason, illustrated by Ed Benes and Jorge Jimenez. Um, this crossover keeps getting better and better to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, th- this actually brought Connor and Cassie Sandsmark and, and Bart Allen to the forefront. And uh, Tim Drake got a new costume and a new name for some reason which was he's savior now, I guess. I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, but this was a, this, this reminded me so much of like classic teen Titans team DC team book, where there's like an ethics debate going on between the different members as they're trying to figure out what to do. I thought it was really cool. How Aqualad tracked the energy signals through water. Um, Just really fun. Man, these youth books are... After being neglected for five years, they're really firing on all cylinders on these youth books. Yes. I couldn't be happier. Yeah, I agree.
0: And I really like the idea of these... um, The the Future Titans, the uh, Titans of Tomorrow... I really like the idea of them being not just like, you know, I think it'd be very easy to have this to be the sort of future versions versus the past versions. But I like that it's not that. That everybody is essentially against him here.
2: hmm
0: I think that's yeah. a more interesting dynamic.
1: Definitely. Oh, absolutely. And uh I also think that it's possible that these titans of tomorrow could be the, they could be the way that we're going to get Connor, Cassie, and Bart back for for good. You think uh, these this age of them? There could be some way. Yes, I think
2: huh. I think
1: they I think they might do that just to differentiate them from. I'm just, I'm basing this on nothing, Brian. I'm just it's a thought that occurred to me that if they wanted a way to reconcile those kind of limbo Titans having gone away and not really having a place anymore, this would be one way to do it, you know? See, they they, They can't really come back and be Teen Titans again, and they can't really come back and be the Titans, you know? So... So what if the Titans of tomorrow just stuck around for a while?
0: See, I, I I would normally think that was pretty brilliant of a solution here. My only qualm is that I feel like not only is the friendship between Tim and those characters so important, and to have Tim considerably younger would sort of would sort of you know just just mess that up a little bit. Yeah. But also because I feel like when we've seen. The only mention of Connor we get so far is Tim talking about like how much Connor means to Tim. I feel like they've, they've built that relationship up in their own way, and I think they'd be remiss to just throw it away.
1: Okay, that's fair.
0: Um, but I don't know. I, I personally think that it's going to be uh, Ken Goberson, our friend Ken Goberson's dream come true, and it's, they're going to be branded as Young Justice.
1: Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, that's probably what's going to happen. But
0: I don't know how that's going to happen exactly. Um, what's crazy is that, though, I, I feel like one of the things that that maybe hasn't been commented on enough is that with the exception of... You know, it is still a little bit weird that like Raven and Starfire and Beast Boy are part of the Teen Titans right now because they are clearly all from a different generation that these other characters are from um but i think i think it's been really interesting to watch how the three sort of legacy characters in the teen titans damian john and uh, aqualad have all been all of them at the start of the new 50, at, at their introduction like you know um aqualad was introduced during brightest day damian was introduced you know towards the tail end of the uh post crisis pre flashpoint Storyline And John was introduced at the tail end of the New 52. Like, all three of those characters have really come into their own as part of this, of the Rebirth youth book movement. Not that mm-hmm. Damien, Damien the least amount, because Damien was the most fully formed character ahead of time. But I just feel like, for a long time, there were still those sort of Damien isn't my Robin people. And I feel like that's no longer a concern. Aqualad, Superboy, and Robin are all firmly these three characters. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. right. Let's um. Let's quickly talk about Justice League of America, and then we have three more after that that I, I want to sort of dig deeper into. Okay. Uh, we get the return of Aztec, a new, a new version of Aztec here. Yep. And this was obviously I mean we know that Steve Orlando loves Grant Morrison. Uh huh. And this is a very clear indication of that. Yep. Um
1: it, it it's a Ray heavy issue. Mm-hmm. What did you think of this? It was fun. I enjoyed it. It was uh I thought the new Aztec is interesting. I hope she sticks around.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um But <laughs> the character that uh is like being restrained in the beginning of the issue. Is That's just red Savage Dragon. <laughs> is, that, is that right? <laughs> yes.
0: Red mustachioed Savage Dragon. Savage Dragon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, I thought the stuff with the stuff with Caitlin really worked. The mm-hmm. stuff with Killer Frost worked. Um, I know we've kind of griped about them not really knowing what direction to take her in. And I feel like, this is a step forward that hopefully they don't immediately retract. Right. You know, it's like, it feels like one of those things where we all say, Oh, they're finally doing it. And then like in two issues, she's going to be like feasting on somebody again. And everyone's going to think she's a bad guy again. (laughs) Yeah. But this was a lot of fun. I thought.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, um, I think it's really the, the message that Aztec kind of gives Ray, which, which I'll sort of boil down to th- uh, think globally, act locally. Mm-hmm. Like, her, her sort of shaming him for abandoning his city is an interesting idea and one we don't really get to hear about because, for the most part, the characters who are associated with the Justice League, like, you know, Gotham has no shortage of heroes besides uh, besides Batman. Superman can be... Can, Superman, of anybody, can still... Protect Metropolis and be a part of Justice League because he's just so powerful. But it's mm-hmm. interesting to kind of hear this this perspective. Of, you know, here's a smaller city that only really has one hero, and what happens when the hero is away on Justice League business?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting to see the hero of this small town. It's almost like Bloodhaven, but Bloodhaven's become too big now.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and also,
1: we get that sweet, sweet Stephen art. Oh yeah, great! Dude is just, so good. Yeah, just awesome cartooning.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, his and uh, the combination of—I uh, I guess he's coloring his own work here because I was say, his colors are very distinctive to me.
1: I think he tends to do that. I think that's how he works, and and yeah, you you always recognize it. Yeah, it, it's great. Um he makes I loved the way that Aztec's costume plays with the Rays costume. Yes.
0: Yes. They're almost mirror images of each other. Mm-hmm. Um but I was gonna say the combination of, of his uh art and color along with you know it's one of the things that I, I'm so thankful to be a part of Multiversity, is we made a decision about two years ago that we wanted to start having the reviewers credit letterers in our reviews because we wanted people to just notice the lettering more, because lettering is one of those things that can go unnoticed if you're not really paying attention. But Clayton Cowles is such a good letterer, and the way that his lettering plays off of the art and color of Burn was really something to behold this issue. There's just something about the way that it all works together that adds a sort of looseness to this book that I, I don't think is necessarily there with all the artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Absolutely, dig, I dig it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's talk about Det- Detective Comics nine seventy one, uh, written by James Tanner the Fourth, illustrated by Miguel Mendonca. I'm sorry, making you flip around your notes here. That's all right. Um, so this issue brings to a head the uh, the Clayface situation in a really sort of tragic and I hope uh, temporary not- temporary way. Yeah. <laughs> We, we've talked we, about this before. We've
1: been talking about this for weeks, and I think I think uh, on whatever last show we talked about Detective Comics on, I think I said, like, oh, there's going to be something that happens in this arc, and I thought it would be with Clayface's, like, mutated friend. Yeah. That's going to trigger his becoming a villain again. And sure enough, it fucking happens. Yeah. I just hope we don't lose him for good. Me too. He's been such a fantastic hero, you know. Yes. And a great foil for Cass. Yeah.
0: And uh yeah.
1: But you see we saw him like sweep up the the bodies of those that, like SWAT team and like incorporate them into his body. Yeah. And so I'm I'm thinking, like, well, if they just had him murder a SWAT team, he's probably not going to be a good guy. Right. So I'm a little worried.
0: I could see this being a situation where he sort of comes to his senses, and then he's in Arkham for a while, and uh-huh. they eventually bust him out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I miss him.
0: I miss him, too. I'm bummed. Um, but I thought this was a very good issue. Like I, I, I think that the story that Tainin is telling is a good story. It's just not the story I want from like a fan perspective.
1: Well, I don't even. Yeah, I don't even think it's not the story I want. It's just that one beat. Well, yeah, that, that's that, what I mean. That one, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay.
0: Uh, especially because I, I am not particularly a fan of like I didn't think the first victim. I think that was one of the weaker storylines from Detective so far
1: for sure. Yeah. I
0: think this is doing a better job than that did.
1: Uh
0: huh. Um, but yeah. Um, I also, I have to really respect the job Tynan's doing with Tim on this book, which is that like Tim, everyone was happy to see Tim back, but Tim's return has been not very smooth. And I, I like that. Yeah. I, He's doing a lot with the character.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it would have been real easy to just bring him back and and write him the same way, but I think it's interesting that they bring him back and he's changed. And I almost thought I thought they were gonna go the other way, where they were gonna have him give up the the superhero thing. You know, he was gonna come back and he was gonna be like, I can't do this anymore and he was gonna end up joining Going to college, you know, et cetera, uh-huh. what he and Steph were talking about. Yeah, and instead, the opposite happened, where he's like doubled down on all of the kind of worst aspects or worst tendencies that Batman has, you right. know, to overprotect and over overdo things, and uh, that's a really interesting way to way to take it. Absolutely.
0: Uh, So, I do want to point out, there's one scene, the only scene that takes place, like, I don't know if it's in the Bat Cave or the Belfry, it's in one of the sort of Bat headquarters and it's the whole team kind of discussing things. Tim's cape appears and disappears like five different times. (laughs) There's one panel in particular, though, um, let me see what page it is. It's the bottom right panel of page uh, eight, where you see, like, the, <laughs> the neck of the cape is there and it like, goes over his shoulders and then disappears before it comes <laughs> under his arms.
1: Oh my god, you're right!
0: <laughs> but, but like all throughout that scene, sometimes he has a cape, sometimes he doesn't, sometimes it's this weird half-cape thing. And it's definitely not like an artistic choice. I, I think he probably didn't have a cape in that scene and, and editorial was like, we have to put a cape in there. And so they, they quickly put a cape back in there but missed it half the time.
1: You're right. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. <laughs> There's one right here where he's looking at the video screen of like the injustice people rioting and he's got where what, with silhouette, right? Yeah, he's got what looks like a cape going down in silhouette. And then in the very next panel he like turns to talk to Stephanie and there's no there's sign no cape. of a cape. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit. Yeah. I love it.
0: Yeah, it, it's one of those things like in a movie when there's not continuity when someone's haircut's different, you know, between yeah. two different
1: scenes. But yeah, or when they have to CGI uh, teeth <laughs> in for a mustache. <laughs> have
0: I have I said this out loud or just thought this that the CGI'd giant upper lip Superman looks a little bit like Jeff Johns.
1: <laughs> what if it wasn't CGI? It was the. Um, you know, they did like the, the Conan O'Brien cutout thing <laughs> yeah. and, and Jeff Johns stood behind the cutout. And <laughs> and uh. What's what's your favorite thing about uh, what's your favorite thing about Earth? Serial. Yeah. <laughs> and they that's why they cut away, because Jeff Johns would he he demanded to say serial during that scene. So instead, <laughs> instead they cut away and Superman says nothing and yeah. seems like a big dick.
0: Oh, that was such a weird scene.
1: Frosted Flakes! Yeah.
0: <laughs> Alright, what would have been better it, as it is now where he just says nothing and doesn't inspire anybody or if he was just like, the puss.
1: <laughs> it's giving cunnilingus, kids. <laughs> <Yeah>. Mustadhing. <laughs> no, then he would need the mustache. It is true. yeah the clean-shaven superman doesn't say that the mustachioed one does of course
0: everyone knows that (laughs)
1: yep oh mother of god
0: yeah let's let's get off this book Uh, let's talk about hawkman found written by jeff lemire illustrated by brian hitch
1: and uh and kevin nolan kevin nolan Yeah, yeah i mean i just want i want to say up front Best Hitch art I've seen in a long time. I was just gonna say that. I was gonna say that if this was the
0: Brian Hitch we got all the time, I'd be much happier with Hitch as a as a regular DC artist. Yeah, we haven't seen him look this draw
1: this well in a long time. No, the, the, like there were no shortcuts taken on this book. Clearly, you can tell this is an issue. This is
0: an issue that the DC realizes is very important to sort of its its big story right now. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's just... It is so thoroughly... It's just illustrated very beautifully. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the story of this issue?
1: Uh, I thought it was a little slight, but I think that was appropriate. Like, I think... I think Jeff Lemire was trying to do, like, three things in this book. And it was... Reestablish Carter Hall as a personality. Talk about how he got to where he got in the grand scheme of the metal mythology. and, And basically take you up to the exact point that we just saw Hawkman in Metal Issue 4. Yeah. And I think he accomplishes all of those things. But I think I think there's not much more to this issue, but I think as like a, I don't think there has to be. It's a one it's a one shot essentially reestablishing Hawkman for rebirth, right? That's basically what it's doing, and I think it does that job as good as it possibly could have, and I mean that as like a big compliment. I really enjoyed this issue. I, um,
0: I, I I'm not going to disagree with with most of what you said. I will say this: I feel like this is exactly what we were talking about before the break about metal, where like I don't know if I needed this issue at all because the way that Snyder and Capullo threw Hawkman at the end of that issue, like that mm-hmm. was that was satisfying enough to me. I don't I think, think I, there's that much revealed in this issue that that influences that moment. Do you?
1: No, that's what I mean by how it's it's slight. You know. But I, but I also think it's kind of beautiful, like as a comic. It's it's really nice to look at. It's really slight and easy to read. You're right. We don't need it at all. Um, I agree with that. I I think there are some people out there that do want this though, or they do need it. They want an, they want an end to Hawkman again, and I think they got it. You know.
0: See, that's my question though. I don't know if this isn't into Hawkman. I don't know if this adds. Like, if you didn't know who Hawkman was beforehand, is this going to tell you who Hawkman is?
1: Kind of. I think I, it kind of does, yeah.
0: I, I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I'm, maybe maybe that's just because I'm a big Hawkman fan, and I felt like this didn't have a lot of mm-hmm. the sort of classic Hawkman
1: characteristics present. Well, that's interesting about this, because it's it's presupposing something completely different about Hawkman than what we've been given before. It would have been really easy for them to do like a a retelling of Hawkman origin, Hawkworld type stuff. Uh And they didn't do that. Instead, they have this like uh, Carter Hall in prehistoric. It's almost like Batman. The uh, the return of Bruce Wayne. Yes, exactly. I thought that too, yeah. Yeah, except for Hawkman. And so you're right. It doesn't have the classic Hawkman uh, elements. But then again, how many times has DC tried that and it just doesn't work? So I, I admired their ability to say, like, well, we're going to start Carter Hall from a completely different place and time. See and I, Take him from there.
0: I don't mind that either. I just felt like it. It took him from a place of being more of a blank slate than an interesting character. Mm. But we can agree to disagree about this. It's uh, I. I'm not saying it's a bad issue. I just I guess yeah. I just expected more from it.
1: Well, and see, I I think, I think I'm more interested in Carter Hall because of this issue than I have been in since since brightest day. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's fair.
0: Uh, I do want to say you use the word presupposes. Whenever uh-huh. anybody does, I just think of uh, of this. <laughs> yeah, thing. I know what you. F- from the Road, of Yeah. What? What if this
1: presupposes? Uh, uh, everyone it knows doesn't?
0: Custer died a little, little big horn. this book presupposes is. maybe he didn't. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. There it is. Yeah. 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 Yep. <laughs> uh, I knew you were going to say that.
0: Can't can't hear that word without without thinking of that now. Yeah. Um, all right. That brings us to our final book of the week. Doomsday Clock number two, written by Jeff Johns, illustrated by Gary Frank, enjoyed by not me.
1: <laughs> I did not enjoy this either. Um, I think this is everything that I, fe- I, you know, I gave it that first issue and I said, well, you know, if, if the Watchmen stuff takes a backseat after this, then fine. I think this is turning out to be everything I feared and and I think it flies in the face of everything that Jeff Johns told us this was going to be
0: yeah, I mean it's a little early to say it flies in the face of everything because well, you know there is still however many issues ten more issues of this is it twelve issues I, I agree,
1: but you know what we can't ask people to invest in. $5, what is this, $5 an issue? Something like yeah. that, yeah. We can't ask people to invest in $5 an issue to tell them, well, you got to wait until 4, 5, or 6, and then I'm going to prove that it's the thing that I said it was, and you've invested $30 now, or whatever. You know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We just can't... I don't know, put it out as a graphic novel then or something. You know, I'm... If I was a regular reader not doing this for DC3Cast, I may not have read it. I probably would have read the first issue or two, but I'd be giving up by now. I would have given up after this issue.
0: I don't disagree with any of that. Um, this issue... like I, I understand why a lot of the stuff in this issue has to happen. Like, I understand why, if you want to make Mime and Marionette important, you need to give them a little bit of context outside of just saying they used to be villains. So I understand why you would you would show that, even though I didn't think it was a particularly interesting sequence. Um, I understand why Lex Luthor and Ozymandias make sense to pair up here. I do not understand who else shows up in that scene.
1: Um so we're really doing this we're doing this thing where like every month doomsday clock is going to be guess which character from Watchmen makes a surprise return. Like that's what we're doing. We're do, we're we're allowing Comic Book Resources to do a uh clickbait article every month based on what surprise reappearance we get from Watchmen. This is what's going on. I mean, can we also agree that of
0: all the characters to bring back, the comedian is the fucking dumbest?
1: Of course, but it doesn't matter.
0: But, like, all of these ideas are bad. Let's just, let's, let's lay down the table again. All these ideas are bad. But is there anything good about the comedian coming
1: back? No. And you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if in issue three, like, they immediately reveal what the actual game is here. You know? Mm Mm-hmm whatever it's going to be it's dumb and whatever it's going to be it it, it's the impact of him showing up in issue two while dumb to begin with is only going to be undermined by whatever the twist is you know you know what i mean like yeah i guess oh my god it's (sighs) because what is the twist that he's the freaking Joker, or that, I, how did he get here, you know? They're going to explain it in some way that undermines Watchmen completely. Yeah. There's no other way to do it.
0: He's going to say to himself, this is not my beautiful world. He's going to say to <laughs> himself, this is not my beautiful comic. How did
1: he get here? Don't you bring David Byrne into this. St. <laughs> <Saint> David Byrne? <laughs> Can I I, I do another little rant here that I kind of worked out on Twitter, but it's the thing that bothers me most about any of this? Sure. So you know how, like, the thing that people say and Alan Moore says about Watchmen is that Rorschach is seen as this badass, and, like, it's a misreading of the character, and it's a misunderstanding of what he's trying to say with Watchmen? Yes. And the idea that, you know, people... Like Watchmen for the wrong reasons is something that comes up a lot. And um, I feel like it's such bullshit to have Mime and Marionette, these two characters, who are clearly psychopaths. All of a sudden, they're they're the Rorschach characters. And people are, I'm seeing this online, people glomming onto them and saying what cool characters they are. CBR ran an article saying that. Best new characters in years, right? They're the best new characters DC's had in years. That's what their clickbait headline said. They're fucking Rorschach all over again. They're these twisted characters that are like badass and violent. And if Jeff Johns understands anything about Watchmen. He wouldn't have them doing front flips and cutting off people's fingers to unlock bank vaults. You know? Yeah. Or he would be telling you, this is fucked up, but instead, what I'm reading on the page are characters that we're supposed to think are badass. This is Rorschach all over again. It's somebody missing the point all over again. And we're having to suffer by reading it. And. Comics journalists out there are doing the same thing, and they're letting it happen, and they're, <laughs> and they're going along with it. And they're saying, we didn't learn the lesson that Watchmen was trying to teach us. We didn't learn what Alan Moore was trying to tell us when he said people misunderstood Rorschach. <laughs> right? And so in Jeff Johns takes the, the Rorschach character, and he tries to sterilize him by making him a different character, a different person under the hood. And that's fine but then he creates these two other psychopath characters that we're supposed to think are cool that are like cutting off people's hands and shit. And <laughs> I, and, and that's why I say like when, when Jeff John sits down and he talks about the reverence that he has for Watchmen and how he understands how careful he needs to be and how he needs to treat this property with kid gloves that I think he completely misses the point uh, he's not showing me that he's doing that it's it's bizarre and if, if in a few issues we're supposed to realize that Mime and Marionette are bad people then fine but again you you undermine that right up front you know
2: yeah uh,
0: so I I have two questions for you yeah we see Ozymandias call Rorschach Reggie. Uh huh. Was that the name? Because that. Bernard is the name of the kid that was in the. Uh, that hung out at the newsstand. Uh huh. Do we know a Reggie?
1: Was that the name of the doctor? Uh, no, that was Malcolm Long, wasn't it? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, now I'm totally lost.
0: Like. I thought one of those two characters made sense for Rorschach. Uh huh. I
1: don't know if this Reggie character makes any sense. It, if Reggie, maybe Reggie's just a thing he calls him, like maybe, or or maybe
0: Doctor uh, Malcolm, whatever his name, maybe he has a son named Reggie.
1: Could be. Oh, that would. Uh, that would probably make the most sense.
0: I'm just trying to find the logic. You know, I'm trying to apply
1: logic to a situation where logic does not apply. But yeah. He's Reggie from the old ABC sitcom, Reggie. I'm not familiar with that that sitcom. (laughs) Starring Richard Mulligan and Timothy Busfield? I have no recollection of this. Okay. I just Googled Reggie.
2: Okay. I was (laughs) going to
1: say.
0: (laughs) He's Reggie Watts. uh, (laughs) I would love that. (laughs) If he pulls his mask off and there's like a sampling keyboard there. uh... Yeah.
1: Right. Can't be any worse than what we're getting. No. Just... Were you as pissed off as I was when the there was the uh the bat signal in the clouds and then the the owl ship bursting through it I mean it was just pretty hokey. it just made me just shit blood <laughs> <laughs> uh, um... can, can I tell you? Okay, okay. before I talk about what I actually liked about this issue, which is not much, does their plan even make any sense? When he says Marionette represents a moment in John's past, one that I can use to remind him of who he was, that doesn't sound like a plan that would ever work or that they would ever think to do or want to do. He's
0: basically saying, I need to give John a boner. And remind him that he's capable of of entering said bone zone, <laughs> and that will remind him of his humanity, and then he'll save the world because he remembers how good
1: boners were. That's, that's literally what it says. That seems like such a ludicrous... That's absurd. And he's and, and if he's also the smartest man in Watchmen world, he would know that you don't get horny.
2: <laughs>
1: Nothing good comes of it.
2: I feel that like it, is
1: a cell, and that's why he always wins.
0: <laughs> Except now he's getting married. Um, <laughs> well. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> um, but no, you know, I, this is like the classic trope of like... I'm trying to think of a specific example now, and I can't think of one, but we've all seen the movie where like the father or mother turns evil, and the little kid brings like a drawing... Like the child brings like a drawing from childhood, and it's like, look, Mom, this is who I am. I'm your daughter, or whatever. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, it's that it's that trying to spark the humanity in the in the character that has that has lost its humanity. But the least interesting way to do that is by reminding it about boners, and uh, that's literally what this what the planet is. Right? I'm not okay. misunderstanding that. It's like it's literally John's lust he wants to use to remind him of that. Right? Or yeah,
1: I mean. yeah i i would have said just romantic feelings or feelings of love but there's not romance here no there's not that's i think this whole thing is a i don't know it's i don't horny michael it's so when we when he says we're gonna see the penis again when we see it is it gonna be just this big erect it's gonna knock someone's eye out well, that, well, remember that is what the uh, when they were running on the cosmic treadmill in the button, they did run into Manhattan's penis. <laughs> they did. So <laughs> this is all coming together.
0: <laughs> oh boy,
1: we are gonna have proven to be right like a year and a half in advance. Yeah, you're that. welcome. They're gonna show. They're gonna show Flash <laughs> running on the treadmill and running into the boner. Yeah. It's just funny, because I, I I think
0: I said this last time, but I reading this issue again today, I had read it when I, we first got the review copies, and I read it again today. I feel like this is written as if this is a live-action film, and they couldn't get the actors who played Night Owl and Silk Spectre to come back for the sequel, uh-huh. so they had to write them out. Yeah. like There's almost no reason. They're just like, you know, that wouldn't be good have those characters involved but they don't really give a good reason for that it just seems like a really lazy way to get those characters to not show up
1: yeah I agree and
0: I don't think like this isn't a like Alan Moore gave them the perfect endings I'm not gonna fuck with that rationale because Moore gave all these characters perfect
1: endings yeah yeah he did no, no, this should have never, I know it's old hat to say this, but it should have never happened. But, can I tell you the one thing I liked about this?
0: That it's not infinity
1: pages long.
2: <laughs> right. There's,
1: there's an actual end to it. But I'm not still reading it right yeah, now. Yeah, No, what'd you like? No, it's it's got to do with the, the, the back matter uh-huh. kind of stuff. At the very start of all of this uh, rebirth discussion stuff, we talked about – I mean we brought this up so many times about how you can do a story about uh, the way that Watchmen has infected DC comics or comics in general or the New 52 or whatever you want to say without having to explicitly deal with the Watchmen characters. And I feel like this back matter stuff that tells you what's going on in the DC proper mm-hmm. that the Watchmen characters are, are invading, you know? I feel like this is how you could have done it without actually showing uh, Ozymandias show up, you know? Yeah. How there's, how there's this uh, concentration of metahumans on the rise. You know, and Batman or Bruce and Lex kind of vying for control of that. How you know? Lex, of course, wants to probably keep the technology for himself and squash the rise of any metahumans. Well, Bruce probably wants to control it so that he can use them for his vigilante justice. You know, but of course, both men want control of it. That is a classic DC plot conundrum type thing that could affect the entire line. It could set the tone for a year based on that. And it could suggest things about uh, Dr. Manhattan's involvement in a way that suggests Watchmen being the, the problem with all these dark and gritty aspects of comics without actually and that's a book i would read like the the book of bruce versus lex over the metahuman gene is a book i would absolutely relish reading and that's a book that jeff johns could absolutely write and all of this Watchmen, like i read that stuff and i'm like i'm actually interested in this and they got metamorpho you know like i'm legitimately interested and I read the Watchmen stuff, which is like 75% of this issue. And I hate it. It's, it's, it's not even – the mime and marionette stuff is just awful. I can't stand to read any more of it. And I feel like my instincts are, <laughs> are right here, that there's a story here that could have been told without this Watchmen stuff. And of course it wouldn't have sold as well, I guess. And that's the that's what wags the dog, right? Yeah. But there's a kernel of something here that I like. And I'm afraid it's just gonna be tainted. Um you know, for the next year or two because of the Watchman stuff. But we'll oh. see. Here, Here is my new theory about this.
0: I've, I've been thinking about this a lot. I think that no matter how good or bad Doomsday Clock is, after it's over, none of it's going to matter.
2: I hope.
0: I feel like that's odd because Johns is so important at DC. So it's weird they would put him on this book that ultimately won't matter. But I feel like it's never going to come up in conversation. Like Clark's never gonna be like, hey Lois, remember when I beat Doctor Manhattan? <laughs> like that like it's just it's never gonna be mentioned again.
1: It's... Batman's Batman's gonna keep his penis in the Batcave like the like the big <laughs> penny and the Joker card.
0: Uh, different kind of pen. Pen fifteen. Yeah, Pen fifteen club, exactly. <laughs> oh, the pen fifteen club. Well not, on that, not no. only
1: am I a member, but I'm <laughs> the president. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, my button it. it's big my button's bigger than yours yeah and it works And it works my button the button the button the button is bigger than yours oh.
0: let's get out of here thanks for let's listening folks out. please send your condolences on his early demise to at sirfox89 to tell zach you missed him and you hope to hear his ghost back on the show next week uh you can he follow
1: lived a, he lived a tall life, friend. He did live a tall life.
0: And uh yeah. We miss Yuzaki. And uh you can follow us on Twitter. I am at Brian and Dinap.
1: I'm at Vince Ostrowski.
0: I, I still can't get used to you saying that. <laughs> every, every time I try and tag you in a tweet, I always put your old one in first. Sorry. That's alright. Uh I also almost every day text Vince with a time hop of something he said on his old account that is now deleted uh, I do the same thing for our friend Walter Richardson because Walt also deleted his Twitter and the other day he had one that said something like uh, I know opinions on music uh, differ person to person but we can all agree that Love in an Elevator is the best song about sex in an elevator <laughs> <laughs> and he's not wrong <laughs> Not wrong at all. Do you have one for me? Uh, What did you tweet today? Let's see. What happens a lot of times is you tweet something, I'm replying to you in the tweet,
1: yeah, and I can't see
0: what it is you said, Uh, but let's see, do I have one from you recently that I haven't sent you yet? I don't think so. All
1: right, that's fine.
0: The the last one I sent you was, you tweeted uh, two years ago. I wonder what Judy Tenuta thinks about teachers' unions, which I really do not know the. Ref- I don't know what you are referencing. I don't.
1: I think if I I want to say um, what's her name from uh, SNL and UHF? Uh, Victoria Jackson. Victoria Jackson. I think she probably said something. You know. Oh, stupid! Yeah. Uh dumbly conservative and, and then I said, what if, I wonder what Judy Tenuta has to say.
0: Are you aware that she loves a cop?
1: <laughs> what?
0: You ever seen that Victoria Jackson thing how she loves a cop? She like sang a song and danced on the Weekend Update desk. She was married to a cop <laughs> know, or dated a cop maybe? It's not at all funny. That doesn't
1: surprise me. No, it no. shouldn't.
0: It's not at all funny. No, it's not. No. Uh, but then again, it's Victoria Jackson and I feel like UHF was by far the pinnacle of her career. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: Also, Fran Drescher's career.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, also... Uh... Fran, Fran was quite good on Broad City this last uh, last season.
0: I, I have never seen that episode of Broad City, but I will say that Fran Drescher, uh, it's interesting that she's on Broad City because there's a famous line UHF which uh, says, Broads don't belong in Broadcasting. Which is directed at her. There you go. Yeah. This has been UHF Chat. It's a side project to the DC3 cast. It is coming full time <laughs> to you in 2021. We're going to analyze each minute of UHF for an hour. For a, a 90 episode uh, show.
1: I can't wait for the cone Conan the Librarian piece.
0: Don't you know the Dewey <laughs> Decimal System? <laughs>
1: Good God, let's get out of here.
0: Bob fall down, go boom. Good night, folks.
2: (laughs) He
0: is a square head. Who cares?